Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information, and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome, Brendan here with Mark, vetgurus.com. Episode 157, Friday, October the 2nd, 2020. Mark, it's good news here. We're, we're no longer, we no longer have a curfew, Mark. We've gone out of stage four restrictions for COVID and we're back to stage three, which is a much different apart from the curfew and I'm allowed out at night. Not that I'm fast asleep by uh, 9.30, 10 o'clock or so most nights and a few other little changes. Um, we, Annie and I can celebrate by going to the supermarket together to do the shopping. Two people at once. Yeah, or even more than two. Um, so that's a bit uh, it's a bit scary. Um, I'm not used to that. So we're planning on a on a um, broccoli date night um, <laughs> in a couple of nights. Um, we will go wander around the aisles with our shopping trolley with our masks on and. Um, rekindle our relationship <laughs> at the checkout. Do you think that's going to happen, Mark? Your relationship has been blazing along on full burner for so long that rekindling it doesn't even mean anything. You guys are on fire. <laughs> uh, tell that to my wife, please, next time you see her. In fact, um, related to that, I just thought of something. Um, our good friend and veterinarian and... Bon Vivant, David Middleton, who owns a winery. Um, I managed to snaffle some wine off him, Mark. Um, I gave him some cash in hand and I managed to get um, uh, probably, I think he gave me about eight of the wonderful Mount Mary wines, Mark. So um, they're sitting there. I can almost see them from here um, and I think I might crack one this weekend so i'm very much looking forward to that um, it'll be a good de-stress on the weekend um, to open one of those lovely bottles of wine so that's what i've been up to mark um going crazy without any curfew and um doing a bit of shopping what have you been up to <laughs> well we've just as we were talking while we were off air um we've been really busy work has taken up like most of my waking hours lately we've got interesting cases and um uh and uh, and i do worry as i think that i think at the moment there's uh there's a bit of a lag between the economic consequences of uh coronavirus in my area and the um and the you know um as those economic uh, consequences bite. I think um, th that uh, business may well slow up a little bit, uh, but at the moment we're um, we're 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 really busy with um, lots of interesting cases. So um, yeah, I feel like I'm at work quite a lot, Brendan. Yes, and we're certainly seeing a lot of new clients, and I think most of the vet clinics are seeing lots of new clients, and we've had a bit of a rush on. Little bunnies and guinea pigs and that lately, Mark. So I don't know whether you have as well. Um, I think people are struggling to find any new kittens or, or puppies. And when you look at the prices of some of those that um, people are selling them or they've been sold well before they've had the litters, um, people are then reaching out for some of the other 
other mammals or even reptiles um, as pets. So, yeah, same story with us. So it's interesting times as usual. Um, a bit of a shout-out, Mark, well, um, to our to our sponsors as usual. So um, hi to um, – who are we going to say hello to today? Maybe Andrew and F10, Chemical Essentials. They have essential chemicals. So go there. Um, link from our website, vetgurus.com, um, and the wonderful F10 and associated products. I think um, we've mentioned it before, Brendan, but I rate the Chemical Essentials coronavirus uh, graphic as quite possibly the best one I've looked at on their website. They have done a very good job, yes. So um, we'll link to the Chemical Essentials website if you don't do it yourself while you're driving or sitting in bed or whatever. Um, otherwise, look up Chemical Essentials Australia and, um, yeah, some excellent information that Andrew's put on that website, hasn't he? He's got some really good summaries for um, um, I should be pointing some clients to it too when they want a bit more information about viruses and fungi and bacteria. Um, it's really good stuff. I don't know where he stole it all from, but it's very good. It's a very it's an good. outstanding resource, Brendan. Yes, it certainly is. And as part of our ongoing series, Mark, we need to do a shout-out to a country with one listener and um, have a guess, Mark. You've... you've um, I've been, I'm striking at zero, zero percent. Let's try Botswana. Botswana. Oh. I was going to say so close. No, so far away. Bangladesh, <laughs> Mark. Bangladesh. We have one listener in Bangladesh. So if they hear from us and are still listening, um, send us an email, say hello, and tell us what you're up to. And we have a an email from um, a new listener or somebody who hasn't sent an email to us before, and that will be the introduction to our main topic shortly after the news story. So um, we um, always want emails and people to say hello, vet, um, vetgurus at gmail.com. So did you say you had a review? You did. You've got a quick review, haven't you? A quick a review, pro- Brendan. A product instrument, a, 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 um, a surgical, a veterinary, a veterinary useful Soldering iron. <laughs> we have um, just uh, in the last few months uh, gotten a IM3 veterinary dental uh, setup. We have, um, you know, the the uh, um, uh, digital X-ray ticking over for larger things, but for a lot of the um, the smaller stuff, uh, the fine detail doesn't always show up on our plates and um and so we've been turning so particularly since we've got it we've been turning the uh system with its camera like uh um generator x-ray uh generator and um and the the uh, plates um we've been whacking just about every exotic animal we can um, on the plates and taking some images. And I've got to say, Brendan, it's upped our level of uh, care and confidence uh, in the procedures and diagnoses we work with these species. We've been just uh, overwhelmed with um, the, the use of the, uh, um, of the X-ray unit. Um, and it is, uh, 
you know, there's occupational health and safety changes we've had to make. Um, it is a little bit more mobile than our large uh, fixed um, unit, our fixed X-ray machine. Um, and so uh, we can get some images in different places in the hospital. And um, and at this stage, the, the the developing system, always a little bit of a, a, uh, uh, an issue with uh, um, CR systems where you've got to have a plate read by a, a scanner set up. Um, it's been working really well and getting us uh, excellent images so um so i uh, this is obviously a completely unpaid um uh um, rating um we paid full price for the 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 unit and uh, we're getting great value from it in our hospital and and probably the interesting thing at the moment is that our use of it with our unusual and exotic pets focusing on you know we don't get a Often we don't get the. Sometimes we get the whole animal, but not always. Um, but um, even though we've been able to not fit a whole animal in, on in many instances, it's allowed us to be much more focused in um, getting good images of teeth, or you know, in our rabbit cases, or fractures, uh, maybe with our birds. And um, um, yeah, it's been an outstanding addition to our diagnostic tools. I'm giving it an. Outstanding 8.6 out of 10, Brendan. 8.6, got it. And I will put the link to that on our website, vetgurus.com, and I'll find that link shortly. Excellent, yes, I have a couple of things, as I keep saying, that I will um, review that are slowly banking up. Um, that uh, I'm just testing them out, Mark, testing them out. <laughs> Is that the CR... Seven vet image plate X ray that you were reviewing or not? Uh, uh, just that the me, name. Yep, of it? that's uh, the one. That's okay. it. All right, I found it. Good. Okay, so I think we should jump into a couple of news stories, Mark. Mine's a, a pretty quick one, and it follows on from last week. I was chatting about, and for those of you who haven't listened to last week's episode, go back listen to it start at number one and then get up to number 156 which was last week <laughs> and i spoke a little bit about the wonderful merlin bird id app mark and this story follows on from that and it the heading is simple and wholesome sounds a bit like you mark melburnians get into bird watching in lockdown so melburnians for those of you who don't live in Australia or people live in Melbourne, which is the capital city of Victoria, which is where I live. And it talks about people going nuts in lockdown, Mark, and trying to decide what can they do to de-stress themselves and to open their eyes and to look around a little bit. And it's talking about people who are really enjoying birdwatching, Mark, in the Melbourne area. Um, and one of the quotes, you like, it's full of great quotes, this one, Mark. It's very, really very simple and very wholesome, Mark, says Ms. Gale about um, these um, birdwatching. Do you find that? <laughs> I, I Like most things in life, it, um, it uh, has its moments where it probably isn't so simple or wholesome, but, um, but on, on, on the whole, I think um, Ms. Gale is, has nailed it, Brendan. I think you need to emphasise here too that, um, that you poor people in Melbourne have for a number of weeks been not just restricted by the curfew, which we mentioned earlier, but you need 
uh, permit to wander more than five kilometres from your home. So, um, so many of these bird watchers are making lists of birds that are within five kilometres of their home, and it's um, like you said, giving them uh, uh, drawing their attention to some of the uh, natural history that's right at their doorstep. Yes, and did I did I tell a story last week about my little home visit to my my um, my brother-in-law or not? You didn't. I didn't. And, and I had, and my, I had my travel permit in my car. Um, <laughs> well, they have a little dog called Jake, who's a little bit of a little bit of a, a cavoodle mix, and um, they love him to death. And Jake, Jake's a bit special because he developed autoimmune hemolytic anemia a year or two ago, and he wasn't looking too crash hot. Had two. Two blood transfusions, I think, when his PCV dropped around about 10 or 9, um, and they were thinking he wouldn't survive. And the emergency centre that he was at for a few days um, were tending towards recommending euthanasia, but they hung in there and spent lots of money, and he survived, and he's cracking along really nicely. But uh, Mark, my brother-in-law, phoned me up last week, and he was a little bit distressed because it was only this week, Mark, that dog groomers have been allowed to open again with the restrictions. So people have let their dogs get very hairy and um, woolly. And little Jake um, had a little bit of diarrhea and he developed a few a few attachments around his backside. Um, the true definition of a dag, isn't it, Mark? Um, some feces caught around the backside. And they cleaned him up around his backside and they, um, they're not great animal people and they um, they were almost vomiting cleaning up his little bum so they wanted me to go around and help them mark so i headed around there with my my cordless clippers um, and i had my travel permit in the car because it was outside the five kilometers and i didn't get pulled over which i don't think many people have been pulled over and asked what are you doing in a suburb you shouldn't be and i gave him a brazilian and headed home again mark so there you go um a story that doesn't really have a punchline. <laughs> but uh, did you need a, you, you need a special license to go that far, though? Don't you? Well, you just have a yeah, yeah. You have a, a working a, a travel permit. It's called. You can you can just get it online um, and just do the template and you fill it in and you have your your boss or your workplace um, countersign it and it says what hours you're working at your clinic um, or, or or business. Um, and then if you get pulled over, um, you can produce your working permit and if it's somewhere in between your home and that work, then it's fine. Um, or if you have a job, like a vet, veterinarians are classified as essential service um, and you're doing a home call, for instance, like I was doing, um, then um, there won't be an issue. You know, So if you can prove that you're doing a profession or a job that... that, um, that um, is allowed, and you're not just heading over to, you know, buy a buy a pizza or something because you like the pizza from the pizza shop ten kilometres away. Then you're fine. Yeah, so it's so, a bit weird, isn't it? Um, so I was going to ask you, um, with Melburnians getting into bird watching, do you think yes. that because um, there's an upcoming annual Aussie backyard bird count? Um, and do you think that um, the numbers will change as a consequence of the more observant Melburnians identifying more birds in their backyard? Well, logically you'd think so, but 
I wouldn't be surprised if people can't be bothered um, putting their entries in. Um, that's my cynical <laughs> view on it. So we'll see. Do you know what the numbers were in the last few years? Um, we should we should report back on this. I, think. I, I definitely will look it up and and get back to you on the Aussie. That will be one of my news topics in the next few weeks. The Aussie because supposedly, according to this article, there had been a tenfold surge in bird sightings in the recent months. Um, as Melburnians took solace in nature amid the uncertainty of COVID-19. There you go. So there you go. Um, so that's where you can – it's tied in with the Merlin Bird ID app. So for a little story that was going to last for two minutes, <laughs> we've I've prattled on for 10 minutes, Mark. So what's your news story? Well, mine is really punchy and quick, Brendan. My story um, is what went right this week. Um, it has been reported um, that 48 species have been saved from extinction. Um, and uh, this is a little bit of a, well, I suppose it's, um, well, let me read it. Conservation and efforts have prevented the global extinction of between 28 and 48 bird species, a bird and mammal species since 1993. A recent study led by Newcastle University and BirdLife International has found in the same period 10 bird species and five mammal species did go extinct or strongly suspect to have um, so the extinction rate would have been up to 4.2 times greater without any conservation action um, so it's a real positive news story because you know how uh, glass half full I am about um, conservation efforts in general, Brendan. So it's really nice to have some hard evidence which shows um, that all the effort that goes into preserving threatened species actually um, has made a difference in those 27 years since uh, the researchers started looking. It's good news, Brendan. It is good news, and your glass is usually half full because you drink so quick, um, and then you're saying, look over to me and say your shower, <laughs> typically. So, yes. No, it is good news, and we like that website, don't we? Um, and we tend to plug it a fair amount because it's good to have a website that is positive, and that's called Positive News website. So I, I think that's a good one. So there are two news stories, Mark, and I think we should jump into our main topic which is Khaleesi virus in rabbits and the reason why we're talking about it is it's well it's it's sort of hit the US hasn't it and we have an email from Katie from Iowa State University hi Katie so we're going to read out most of her email that we got last week it is hello Brendan and Mark hi Katie um, I just caught up on all your episodes geez she must have um Binge our episodes, Mark. They keep me company while cleaning. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and while working in the lab. Well, yes. Um, now I see. It would um, it would certainly um, perhaps help a little bit with the boredom um, of the cleaning up in the lab. I heard you guys discussing a big windstorm that blew through Melbourne on episode 153. We actually had a massive windstorm in the US Midwest She's from Iowa, and its effects were pretty devastating. And I clicked on the link, Mark. Well, um, it was pretty amazing. Um, a lot of people were affected. Most of the state of Iowa lost power for between a day to a week, and 10 million acres, 10 million acres of crops were damaged. 
Although this was pretty harmful to farmers, many say the damaged crops will provide extra food for wildlife and that downed trees were aid in habitat diversity. I'd like your comment on that in a minute, Mark. Here's an article with more about the storm and she linked to that. So she was wondering if either of us have had any experience with rabbit hemorrhagic disease in wildlife or in pets. RHDV2 has been spreading across America and has caused many deaths since it can be spread from wild hares, rabbits to domestic rabbits. This strain is says to have a lower mortality rate than RHDV, but the disease stays well hidden in sick individuals and does not present itself until it is too late. Have you treated any rabbits with this disease? I'm interested to see how this affects the American rabbit population. Thanks from Katie. So that's why we're going to talk about Khaleesi virus in rabbits and we certainly have, have some experience. So what do you think, Mark, about that damaged crops and downed trees helping with habitat diversity? What's your thoughts on that? I think it's a good thing. I think um, that uh, that's you want both trees that are upright and trees that have fallen over. You don't sort of want just one or the other. And um, and certainly there's a wide range of particularly reptile species but also small birds that covet the uh, protection of fallen timber um, and um, also, you know, forage on the particular um, insects that um, flourish in those circumstances. So, so I, I'm, I think it's a, I, I understand the stress on the farmers, the damaged crop um, uh, puts uh, farmers in a very difficult and precarious financial position. Um, but uh, I suppose we're always looking for that silver lining and the extra food that's available for wildlife, but particularly the increasing range of uh, habitat and particularly for the species that, you know, we try and keep everything so clean and clear that a few of those sorts of in, uh, micro habitats is really going to help some species. I'm, I, I completely agree with Katie. Thank you. <laughs> so devastation is good is what you're saying yes in some circumstances <laughs> with a qualification yes we prefer it not to be total planetary devastation just maybe one or two trees in the forest yes if a, if a tree falls in the forest mark you're happy <laughs> Yes. Even okay, so Khaleesi yes, right. virus. Well, yes, we certainly have had Khaleesi virus here in Australia and, and some of us here in Australia when we saw the reports of it out breaking out in, in the US of A, we, we sort of thought, oh, well, been there, done that to a certain extent, didn't we, Mark? And um, it's a pretty horrible, devastating disease for the pet rabbit. So we'll try and talk about our experiences with it and I think a reasonable amount of it will will um, relate to what's happening in the states because it's the same sort of processes and and our comments on on what we think about the um, you know the disease process and and tips on or what we think are potential tips on diagnosing and whether we think it's worthwhile trying to treat them as well, Mark. So um, I might just start with a little bit of a summary of it. Um, the rabbit hemorrhagic viral disease, so RHVD is where the where that um, abbreviation comes from. And there's several different types of it. Um, and talking about in Australia here, we have really 
Well, there's sort of four main types here in Australia, and um, that's our HDV1, which is the original virus, and that was released or sort of escaped, didn't it, Mark, in 1995 um, to that was released to kill um, the feral um, rabbit population. There is a, a slight variant on that one, RHVD1A, which is not present here in Victoria, Um there was another variant released not that long ago, which was around about in 2017, which is RHVD1K5 variant. Um, and the one that we're going to talk about today or tonight or this evening or this morning, depending on when you're listening, is RHDV2, which is variant 2 or type 2. Um, so the original RH. VD2 was first diagnosed in Europe, Mark, in, in around about 2010, which is when that was first, um, well, first seen. Um, so, and the K5 variation um, is often called the, the the Chinese strain that was bred up and released because we were having um, resistance to the original RHDV1 that was released for the for the wild rabbits here, Mark. So, um, so what is it about this RHDV? Two strain mark and what sort of signs do they show um, and what does it cause? Well, it causes death in them, doesn't it? It was first seen here in Australia, I think, in 2015 and we don't know what, how or why it entered Australia and it was certainly not actively released by the Australian government um, despite all the conspiracy <laughs> theories that are out there mark and still out there that it was released by the powers that be or bill gates or somebody released it mark um and as katie hinted at there rhdv2 has been found to infect rabbits and hares um but has not been found to infect or kill any other native or introduced species um, so do we see it in our pet rabbits we certainly do do um, I and we were chatting off air, weren't we, Mark? We I haven't seen a, a or diagnosed a case in many many months, if not over a year or so. Um, but we had a huge influx of it when it was first being seen, and we had huge waves of it, and we had lots of rabbits that were dying from RHDV2. Um, did you have the same? We we, um, we assumed it was. We did have, um, and it's about a year ago now, we did have uh, one case specifically worked up and um, the DNA identified as RHDV2, but we definitely had a suspicion across a number of other rabbits that um, that uh, passed away um, that, uh, um, that we were going through that same outbreak that you were talking about. Yeah, um, well, we 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 saw lots of them. So to to help sort of Katie and some of our US colleagues and s some other countries in the world that might be starting to experience outbreaks of of RHDV two, we'll, we'll go through sort of the classic signs, the clinical signs, and how to potentially diagnose it and whether or not we can we can treat it. I mean, the clinical signs sometimes it's just death. As, as the client reports that their 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 rabbit has had a sudden death, um, um, or it had a bit of a fit, and they see blood coming out from orifices, especially the nose or the mouth, um, or they arrive, you know, my, my they get up in the morning and their rabbit's hardly moving, and they told to bring the the rabbit down to the clinic, and when they arrive, the the rabbit's already 
already dead so often you know sudden or very quick death is is um is a very classical sign for it um so um and as we've been and there is some thoughts that it's we're seeing less severe case of of it now that it's been here for a couple of years and and there's resistance sort of build up up to it um so it can be variable the other sign so we can get pyrexia um so we can get almost like a waxing and waning pyrexia with them but in end stage they can be hypothermic um because as the name suggests, it's a hemorrhagic disease, so they um, bleed, and you typically bleed internally, and that's where it's very difficult to pick up um, from, um, especially with clients um, until that end stage where they may have that, you know, obvious um, bleeding from from cavities um, ex- and coming out externally, um, because they may not be able to pick up that those obvious signs of anemia. And part of our workup for the ones that are still alive is certainly doing that PCV total protein because we, we see some really obvious um, anemia with them um, and they're often hypoglycemic as well. Um, and it has a predilection for the liver, so we see significant changes um, relating to the liver, so we see massive changes in the liver and, and often kidney enzymes are sky high with them. Um, so the bad news with that is, again, it's, it, it can be quite difficult to, to pick up um, um, post-mortem um, and and certainly we cannot confirm a diagnosis um, unless they, I don't think they have, anybody's developed an anti-mortem um, diagnostic test because um, to, to confirm the diagnosis um, here in Australia that the method is and the government will will do that test for free if you send it to, to Canberra is um, a section of split, uh, liver, um, so send in fresh frozen um, liver. Um, or in a little bit of a, um, um, you can send an informal, and although it's not ideal, um, um, to to look at the histopathology um, for it, or, or do the actual viral testing on on the fresh frozen frozen sample there. So it causes a necrotizing hepatitis. Um, so when you do a do a necropsy on these animals that have had sudden death, um, and you're suspicious of RHDV two, especially if you're having outbreaks in the area that you're in um i usually describe it as you, you just see lots of blood everywhere and and, and bleeding from lots of or- orifices you see um, um blood in the abdominal cavity cavity you see particular hemorrhages throughout um often in the lungs and the heart um almost like a dic sort of condition happening there so we see hemorrhages um and they end up dying from um the equivalent of the you know DIC type um, process and, and liver failure and, and anemia and, and just blood loss with them, Mark. Um, and that those those values that we see, if if you manage to do values of that um, of the um, liver enzymes, especially that you know they're massively enlarged, increased. Sorry, yeah, you're about to say something. I was, uh, Brendan. I was going to ask um, because I. I have read, and um, Katie intimates in her email that there's a different time course between um, the RHVD one and two, and um, and I've you know I've read that at a number of locations, but that certainly hasn't been my clinical experience, and that's probably as you said because um, the the um, slightly slower time course that's attributed to RH. Uh, VD2 um, still isn't, the disease is not recognised during that time period and, and 
they're still presented as either um, moribund or or um, yes, uh, suddenly yeah. dead. And it, and it may, yeah, it may be may have started certainly a few days before, and then yeah, they 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 see that almost that end stage aspect as when the client picks it up. And, yeah, I mean we had, and I'm sure they're having the same in the in the states with all the outbreaks there, and that. Um, the difficult thing is, is it's not the only disease process that can cause sudden death. Um, or you find your, it might have been an acute gut stasis episode in a rabbit that um, the owner finds a rabbit dead the next morning when they go and check on the rabbits in the hutch to feed them or whatever. And um, they have it in their mind that, you know, there's this horrible RHDV2 going around. So we, we certainly got lots of rabbits that were dying from various types of things where the clients were bringing the bodies in and saying, my rabbit has died from RHVD, um, RHDV2. And it, and it um, wasn't that because we have all the other sorts of causes that we um, that that we commonly see or we can see in rabbits, including things like um um, the gut stasis and variations of that, um, um, rodenticide toxicities, those sort of things. Liver lobe torsion is sort of a ra- fairly rabbit-specific sort of condition that can show up with similar sort of signs. Um, and even things like, you know, young rabbits that are just really poorly looked after and they're full of coccidia as well, um, and they may find them dead in the morning. So there's lots of different things that might show up. So don't assume that um, just because you're in an area where you see lots of RHDV2 cases that that case presented with you is that unless you um, go to the time and effort of, of confirming that diagnosis. And when, when you're in it, are in an outbreak situation, you can certainly um, predict that um, once you've done a quick post-mortem on them, you'll see straight away um, that, that, that if there's hemorrhage in the classic sort of hemorrhagic sort of look once you get into that body cavity, then the chances are pretty high it is going to be that. But I'd certainly take samples and, and the organ you want to take a sample from straight away is that, that liver. Um, that's the one you want to send off for the diagnosis, for the confirmation, um, 100% confirmation of it. So, yeah, um, but as as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we, we certainly, I personally haven't seen any um, for a fair while now, so I, I think it, um, we had the huge wave of it where we're seeing lots and lots of them. And then it will taper off, and I'm sure the same thing will happen happen in the USA um, as well as other countries um, once once it's it's gone through them. Um, so how does it work, Mark? Um, the transmission of the virus, you know, how does this occur? And and similar to the other RHVD um, strains or types, Mark, it, it's it's several different things. It's contact between the rabbits. So direct contact can certainly be. A possible um, transmission form, so um, um, sneezing and snuffling and and spray of it, um, urine and feces um, from affected rabbits to to non-infected rabbits. Um, you can. It is a pretty tough virus, isn't it, Mark? Um, so the virus can last in the environment for long periods of time, and um, it can be a little bit tricky to kill. Um, so I think it's something like it can survive. Um, Type 1 can survive for over three months, I think, um, in the environment in favourable conditions. So potentially the same might be happening with with type 2. 
So that's that's a very important bit. Um, so if you had a client who brings in a rabbit that's confirmed with RHDV2, what do you do as far as um, the other rabbits in in the home? Rabbit carcasses um, and it can be transmitted that way because what's been um, proven certainly here in Australia, and I don't know how how prevalent it might be in the States depending on what you have there, but flies, Mark, um, have definitely um, played a part with transmission of RHDV2 um, between infected and uninfected um, rabbits. So it's a bit of a nasty one to get rid of. So, you know, disinfection and quarantine um, is is a tricky one. And some of these, um, I'm just looking through different types of notes, ones from the Department of Agriculture um, here in, here in um, Australia, and, and one's some excellent notes by one of our group members, Dr Lizzie, um, who's, who's one of the preeminent researchers, veterinary clinicians on, on RHDV2. She's done a lot of work on it, so I'm stealing some of her notes here. Um, so using a, a parvovirus protocol is sort of what um, Lizzie tends to recommend um, and isolating suspect cases. And, and we do exactly that when we had um, the the outbreaks and that we treat it like a parvo case when a rabbit came in with suspect um Khaleesi virus, we'd be trying to isolate it from all the other animals in the clinic and using our wonderful F10 mark um, and splashing that around. Um, and owners need to be aware of those sort of, you know, disinfection and, and quarantine protocols with them as well. Um, so the difficulty is, you know, what do we do um, and how do we vaccinate them and what options we've we got for vaccination? And I don't know what it is like it in the US, Mark, and some of the other countries, but all we really have is the is the Silap vaccine at the moment, anyway. Um, and the unfortunate bit about that is the manufacturer or the distributor of it um, has run out of the vaccine, haven't they, Mark? So everybody's a few people stocked up with the vaccine, and it won't be available again here in Australia or Australia-wide until, what did they say? Um, January, I think, is that correct? That was the January 2021 is the expected um, time that we'll have access to that vaccine. Yeah, which is a worry because our because that, that's the vaccine that's registered for use um, in helping for the RHDV1. Um, but what do we do? Um, so um, there's insufficient testing of the SILAP against RHDV2, but we... But we think there's basically anecdotal and and perhaps number a number of anecdotal evidence um, cases um, that rabbits vaccinated every six months or so with the Silap vaccine, which is for RHDV one, will help protect against RHDV two. So that's where we had a bit of a working um, committee, and um, the AVA Australian Veterinary Association had a recommendation of vaccinating rabbits every six months um, with the Silap RHDV1 vaccine, assuming that it will help provide some protection against the RHDV2 outbreak. And we've certainly found, especially even during the outbreak, and we're still doing the six-monthly vaccination, that Silap vaccine is registered for 12 months um, to protect against RHDV1. Um, because bottom line is, Mark, that um, of... Was, was was certainly wasn't 100%, but the vast majority of rabbits that were vaccinated every six months um, with the Silat vaccine, um, very, very, very few of them um, ever 
developed RHDV2. Um, or if you looked at it conversely, um, the cases of RHDV2, the rabbits dying from Khaleesi virus variant 2, um, virtually none of them um, were getting the six-monthly vaccination with the Silap. That's been our so experience that, precisely the same, yeah. Brendan. So where are they in the States? Well, I'm not quite sure. Um, there is vaccines registered um, and there are vaccines being developed worldwide, including here in Australia, um, that are specifically targeted at RHDV2. And there is a, a bivalent, um, a combo vaccine available elsewhere, I think in Europe already and has been for a while that protects against variant one and variant two which is great and hopefully we'll have it soon here in australia um so yeah so it's a, a bit of a tricky one so um i don't know whether i've an answered um no i think one of those ones is Felavac um in europe mark is that correct i'm trying to remember off the top of my head um that protects um that's made for the um variant two um so, yeah, type 2 um, compared with Khaleesi virus type 1 overall has a low, lower mortality rate, um, but um, we certainly saw a lot of rabbits dying from it. So treatment, I suppose, was the only other comment. What's your comments about treatment, Mark? If you had a case come in and it looks like classic, you know, it's very anemic, it's in a in a, um, coming from a local region where you've had a um, sudden outbreak of, of confirmed case, cases, um, it may be in contact. It's it's a rabbit that may not have had any vaccinations of any kind. What what, what, should, what would your advice be to the client? Well, it is a difficult situation, and we've had probably two, just two cases like that that um, that later transpired to be um, uh, the variant two, um, and um, and. Both those cases died. Um, one, we talked to the client about the seriousness of the problem and, and they elected to have the rabbit euthanase given the guarded prognosis. Um, the other client wanted us to do everything that we possibly could and and uh, and largely it was um, uh, supportive care and, uh, um, and I don't know that I... I would be necessary. It's very, the hemorrhagic diseases are amongst the hardest to provide appropriate um, supportive care, um, and uh, and certainly I'd be cautious about doing it again. We used analgesia and um, fluid therapy. Um, we did cover with antibiotics, but um, but it was uh, ultimately unsuccessful. Brendan, well, not surprising. We're pretty on the same page with that unfortunately and that my, my recommendations if I had um, not that we've seen one for a while as I mentioned but when we're having the outbreak my, I always gave virtually a hopeless prognosis with them and um, very very um, depressing um, with them and, and the vast majority of them if not all of them by the time we were seeing lots of them I'd be recommending euthanasia um, with them because yeah I'd, I'd, I'd to be honest, I don't know. I can't recall any case that I personally treated that that um, I managed to pull through um, with it. So it's a pretty devastating, devastating disease. And I feel for our colleagues in the States that are, are going through the same sort of process that we went through a few years ago. And um, it was... Um, yeah, it was pretty traumatic for the for the not just for the clients, but the, for the vets and the technicians and the 
and the staff having having all these animals come in that you knew we're going we're suffering and we're going to die from this pretty horrible hemorrhagic disease. Well, that's a high, highlight to end. We need on. to finish on some positive <laughs> news, Mark. Um, we need to go back to positivenews.com, I think. But um, yeah, um, I don't know what's the positive. Um, well, the positive is that. Uh, it's that wave has gone, and as we mentioned, it's. Um, I think there's been some resistance developing. Although um, I haven't chased it up recently, but the concern was that there was a bit of a another variant on that RHDV2 here in Australia, Mark. So there was a bit of a mutation going on because we we did see a couple that that we sent off for testing and they said it was rabbit hemorrhagic viral disease but it wasn't variant two it was something a little bit different again so um that's a little bit concerning um well, the shift searching for the positive brendan i think i come back to the vaccination story i think uh yes. um if our uh practices actively promote um, regular vaccination and depending on where you are in the world that you might be six month might be 12 month but certainly while it may not be a perfect vaccine the vaccines that we're using definitely provide some protection and the animals that get them uh, to get the vaccines are less vastly less likely to succumb so that's my focus make sure that we get the information about vaccines out and uh, keep our pet rabbits vaccinated. And the clients can potentially try and prevent the access to it, but in an outbreak situation, I think it's quite tricky to do that. I mean, the, the aim there would be, and we did advise clients to potentially do that, and that was keeping the rabbits inside and and mosquito-proofing and fly-proofing and quarantining the rabbits and quarantining any new rabbits that they get into the family um making sure they're up to date with the vaccine um whichever one they're using as you mentioned there mark and also um regular health checks you know and, and the first signs of your rabbit being unwell um having it seen too by a, you know a rabbit a rabbit savvy vet mark and and um you know the good news about savvy rabbit client owners um, or savvy rabbit savvy rabbit Onus is that they're exactly that, and that they often pick up on on subtleties in their rabbit that um, and get them into the clinic. So you want to keep those good clients and encourage them, um, but otherwise, it's you know I don't think there's any there's certainly no magic magic formula um, to to help these rabbits. Unfortunately, with them, um, apart from that vaccine that um, you need to get out there, and hopefully we'll have one soon here in Australia that'll help protect against that variant. Until the next virus comes out, Mark, that devastates the species. Um, um, we're back to coronavirus, aren't we? Um, having said that, so I think with that, Mark, um, I've, st- I've ended on a downer again. And then, <laughs> I was trying uh, to lift you up. Yes, you are, but um, I've dragged it down again. <laughs> I've dragged it down. I think, Mister Outro, will get us going again, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks. for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time we'll be right back.